podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. good boys and girls welcome to the two footed podcast it is monday the 30th of august we are brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor liberty shield liberty shield is a vpn provider a virtual privacy network allows you to go online change your location access anything you're geo-blocked from while also keeping your data safe check out libertyshield.com use the code eplvpn to get 20 percent off at checkout we're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops. You can find them on their websites, or you can find them by downloading the Etsy app to your phone and searching them from there. Right, folks, the weekend is over. The Premier League fixtures for the week are over. We are now into an international break. However, there are still about 34 hours left in the transfer window, so things might heat up over that time. Let's start with the games and then get into some of the transfer stuff. Starting with Manchester City 5, Arsenal 0. An embarrassing performance by the Gunners. One of the worst performances you will see all season long. Ilke Gundogan. Put City 1-0 up after seven minutes with a header after Callum Chambers misjudged the flight of a ball. Ferran Torres made a two on 12. Then Granit Xhaka joined the party and got himself sent off. Absolutely ridiculous challenge. Two feet off the ground. Wild, dangerous, guaranteed red card. Off he goes. Eight minutes later, City go three up. Gabriel Jesus. Rodri made it four on 53. And then it seemed like City really just took their foot off the gas. It really did seem like City could have ran the score up, scored seven, eight, maybe even nine. But they eased off, didn't really bother themselves too much. Ferran Torres would make it five after 84 minutes. The stats of this game are fascinating. City had 25 shots in the game, 10 on target, scored from five of them. Arsenal had one shot, not one on target, one shot total, none on target, 19% possession, attempted 185 passes in the game with an accuracy of 67%. That is absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking stuff. They asked for trouble by going into this game with a back five of Cedric, who... I mean, he's all right as a backup, but you don't want him starting. They've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles sat on the bench. Would have been a much better fit as a wing-back. Callum Chambers, again, if he's your fifth or sixth centre-back, you're probably all right with that, but you don't really want him being any more than that. Rob Holding, at best, he's the fifth centre-back. 
for a good team. And Syed Kalasnak, who they tried so desperately to get rid of last season that at one point they were going to cancel his contract. Then they found a loan for him, sent him out on loan, have been trying to sell him all summer, are currently in talks to sell him to Fenerbahce. And yet he starts this game while Pablo Mari is sitting on the bench. Pablo Mari is a much better centre-back, much better defender than Saeed Klasnik, and he's sitting on the bench. William Saliba is much better than Rob Holding or Callum Chambers. He's out on loan. Mavroponos is much better than Holding or Chambers. He's out on loan. He's on loan with an option to buy that Stuttgart will almost certainly take up. Mikel Arteta has made an absolute mess of managing his squad this summer. This is about as bad as summer's work as you will see from any manager. How is it that you could turn around and tell Saliba and Mavroponos, we don't need you this season, while putting out that back three? How is it that you're currently considering allowing Ainsley Maitland-Niles to leave the club when Cedric is your starting right wing back? How is it that Gwendozi and Torreira are both gone on loan when you're starting a midfield of Xhaka and Odegaard as a two? Odegaard has never played in a two in his life. You're playing him there. He's getting completely outrun. You've got Lekonga and Elneny on the bench, both at least ball winners. You should have played both of them. Jack is walking around the pitch when he's not lunging two-footed into people. You've got Saka and Smith Rowe wasted on the wings, basically playing as advanced fullbacks for 90 minutes. Well, Saka went off, but for while he was on the field, he basically plays, played as an advanced fullback. And then you've got Aubameyang up front looking like the loneliest man at the Etihad. I mean, there were fans closer to him than Arsenal teammates were. Mikel Arteta cannot last much longer in this job if this continues to happen. Because, look, nobody expects them to beat Chelsea or City. But what you expect is that because it's Arsenal Football Club, they will compete in those games. They will at least give a good accounting of themselves. This team has rolled over for Chelsea and for City. Two of their rivals. If you were listing Arsenal rivalries, it would obviously be Spurs 1, but I think Chelsea's 2, United 3, and I think City's 4. Because of the history in the recent years with City stealing players from Chelsea, Nasri, Adebayor, Colo Toure, I think the Arsenal-City rivalry is probably more pertinent now than, say, Arsenal-Liverpool. But the Chelsea one stood out as an, an atrocious display. And this was worse. This was genuinely the worst performance of any team in a Premier League game since I started doing this podcast. And I include... Southampton getting walloped 9-0.
This was pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And like I say, I don't expect Arsenal to go and win. I don't even expect them to get a point. But I expect them to turn up. I expect them to show some fight. You have to. I've said it before. I'll continue to say it. The job is too big for Mikel Arteta. Tactically, he's not good enough right now. He may get there in time. He's clearly got some good ideas. But tactically, he's not there right now. He doesn't set his team up well enough. He can't manage a squad at all. He doesn't seem like a very good man-manager. And he clearly can't motivate players. So what does he bring? What does he bring to the club? Does he bring the promise that one day he might be Pep Guardiola? Well, at this point into Pep's tenure at Barca, which is how you would compare them, their first stint as a first-team manager, Pep had won a Champions League. Now, I know Arteta won an FA Cup. But let's not pretend that last season wasn't an enormous season of decline for Arsenal and that this summer hasn't been a mess. This summer's not all on him. A big part of it is obviously on Edu. But what those two combined are doing right now is long-term damage to Arsenal Football Club. In the form of Saliba, Guendouzi, Torreira less so, he's 26, 27. You know, whatever. You can you can get over losing a player like him. Willock is gone. He's a player that could have played a big part for Arsenal moving forward, even as a squad player. Maitland-Niles may go. Same situation. Reese Nelson's due to go on loan. Eddie Nketiah won't sign a new contract. These are players that should have been important for Arsenal. Even as just squad players. Even as the cup team. But what we saw play for them on Saturday, that back three, if they line that up in a League Cup game against Lincoln, you'd say, geez, they lack a bit of depth. This was their first choice 11. I know Ben White is, is unwell. He's got COVID. Fine. But Ben White can only replace one of those three. Pablo Mari was on the bench. Now, I know Mari's not great, but he was on the bench. He's better than any of them. The loss of Gabriel has been huge, and when he comes back, you'd expect it improves things a bit. But Gabriel and White is not an ideal fit either. Not as a two. As two-thirds of a three, yeah, maybe that would be fine, but who's the third piece? Mari? Okay, he's not really a starter quality. And none of these other ones should be getting a look in. I mean, holding should be in your cup team, your league cup team early rounds against lower league teams. Chambers is the guy you call upon if someone in your cup team gets injured. And Kolasinac, like I said, they don't want him. They don't want him at the club. So why is he playing games? I think we are entering the very last days of Mikel Arteta's reign at Arsenal. I don't see that it's sustainable for him to stay much longer. Now, they are helped by the fact that their next three games are Norwich at home, Burnley away, and AFC Wimbledon at home in the League Cup. They should win all three games. 
but they haven't looked like a team that's going to win anything in the first three games. Then they get Spurs. If Spurs hammer them on the 26th of September, it's very hard to see how they can continue with Arteta, even if they win the three games in between. Then they go to Brighton, they get Palace at home, they get Villa at home, and they get Leicester away. That brings them to the end of October. I mean, you can maybe see three wins there in the league, plus that League Cup game. But right now, they are bottom of the table. Played three, won none, drawn none, lost three, scored none, conceded nine. Conceded nine in three games. I know neither of them played. So it's not on the individual players. But let's not forget that City, that Arsenal spent 75 million this summer on a goalkeeper and a centre back. The goalkeeper who's deemed not ready to start, 25 million. You could have bought a starting calibre goalkeeper for less. White getting COVID is just unfortunate, but it's not like he looked good against Brentford. You went and bought a defensive midfielder for 17 million. He sat on the bench, didn't come on. El Nenny came on when you needed help in midfield. The guy you previously deemed not good enough and sent out on loan. What an absolute shambles. Newcastle 2, Southampton 2. A dull first half. And then a goal fest second half. Callum Wilson with the first short range tap in for the tune to put them one up. Mohamed El Yanezi with a very ugly, scrappy short range tap in uh, at the second attempt to make it 1 1. Good to see him getting, getting his goal in the Premier League. Really happy to see him get the start. I liked the look of Southampton's midfield with him on one wing. And Gineppo on the other, Romeo and Ward-Prowse in central areas. I thought it showed good balance. I thought they looked at a threat on the counter. Alan St. Maxim thought he'd won the game when he scored on 91 minutes. Bit of a scramble in the box. Ball fell to him. And he he puts it home. Nice finish, tidy finish. He goes to celebrate with the fans. It's the 91st minute. It's game over. Newcastle have won, except they hadn't. Because down the field would go Southampton. A silly challenge by Jamal Lachelles on Adam Armstrong. Penalty given, upsteps Ward-Prowse. Never in doubt, 2-2. Note from the game, um, Alex McCarthy, the Southampton goalkeeper, clearly using just for men. Worth pointing out, clearly using just for men. Last season, a substantial amount of grey hair. This season, jet black. Jet black hair. So either he's been meditating with Buddhist monks and has de-aged himself, or he's reached for the just just for men. He did make two very good saves in this game, though, to his credit. So we'll let him away with the the little faux pas. Uh, A good game of football, this... You know, some scrappy play. But all in all, I enjoyed this one. I'd like to see a bit more from Newcastle. I, they just, they, they're capable of more. They have players capable of more. They're not helped by being hamstrung by the manager. 
Uh, Jolington actually looked surprisingly okay when he came on for his little cameo. Brighton nil, Everton two. Um, got this one wrong. Thought we would see Brighton continue their good form that they'd had to start the season, but that wasn't the case. Damari Gray made it 1-0 after 41 minutes. I thought the keeper should have done better. Now, Gray does really well. Bursts down the inside left channel. Gets the shot away quickly. I think Sanchez should, should save it. I think it's a very saveable opportunity. Interesting to see Brighton go back to the back three that they played so much of last season and not stick with the back four that they played this year. Um, empty shirt, Lalana in midfield, just overrun completely. Decore had a field day, just pouring past him as if he wasn't there. I thought the battle between Alan and Basuma was really good. Proper physical midfield battle. Both very good players. Both played well. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin made a two on 58 from the penalty spot. That's three and three for Calvert-Lewin to start the season. He's playing with a broken toe as well. So it's all the more impressive because he can't, he can't be comfortable playing with that. And he's looked good, not just the goals. Obviously penalties are, are you know, they're not, not open play goals, but his all round play has been good. He has been impressive. A little bit of a skirmish before the penalty. Richarlison seemed to want to take it. Now credit to him, he did run immediately over to Calvert-Lewin to celebrate the goal. He didn't didn't sulk or anything. Um, but we saw him take a penalty at the Olympics, and it wasn't pretty. So leave them to the guy in form, and he'll continue to put them away. Everton looking good under Rafa. It must be said, seven points from three games, strong defensively, good going forward. All things considered, Everton fans have to be very, very happy with how the season's going so far. For Brighton, it's the first defeat of the season, but they did win the first two. They'll be happy enough in eight. News today that they have agreed the fee for Mark Cucurella. It's an, it's 18 million, it's a 15.4 million pounds, 18 million euro. It's his buyout. They're paying it. Whether they're paying it in one go or not remains to be seen. But he's an excellent player. He'll be a great addition for them on the left-hand side if they stick with this back three. He'll play that left wing-back role to perfection. You get him on one side, Lamptey on the other. And they're going to be very, very dangerous down both flanks. And they still need that striker in. If they don't get that striker, they're still going to struggle to score goals. That's just going to be the case for them because the current group of strikers they have, Mopé's a good secondary striker. Trossard's a winger who's been converted. McAllister's a 10. Danny Welbeck's not very good anymore. Not that he ever really was, but he's not very good. Andy Zakiri's very young and unproven. They need to get that striker in. Odson Edouard is sitting out there. Eddie Nketia is sitting out there. Uh, Sky are reporting that Brighton are also in for Sima from Slavia Prague. And if you remember... He's the player who was very, very impressive in the Europa League run for Slavia last year. Um, that'll be an interesting one. He doesn't really fill the need properly. He's not a natural number nine yet, in my view. He'll get there, but 
I, I just don't know. At, at 20, coming from the Czech League, the Premier League is a big, big step up. Scored 16 goals in 33 games last year, 11 in the league, 4 in Europe. It was the European run where he kind of caught everybody's eye. Very powerful, very quick, very direct type of player. I still think Enketia or, or Odson Edward would be a better fit for them. More of a natural penalty box player. I think he works better as, as an inside forward right now. Someone running off a number nine. Again, similar to like a Mope. Um, but a good player, and if they can land him, if they can land him, that will be a boost for them. It will give them another option, at least. I had predicted Brighton to win that one 2-1, so I did get that one wrong. Also predicted this one wrong. I thought West Ham would carry on their good start to the season and beat Crystal Palace comfortably. But Palace were, were very, very feisty and stayed in the game. Pablo Fernandes made it 1-0 on 39. Really, really nice goal for West Ham. Beautiful move between Fernandes and Antonio. Antonio to Fernandes, back to Antonio, back to Fernandes and a simple finish. Really nice goal. Opened up the Palace defence. Credit to them. They link play between that front four for West Ham is very, very good. Ben Rama had started that move with a pass to Antonio. They're about to add, by the looks of things, Nikola Vlasic, former Everton attacking midfielder, been playing for CSK Moscow. Everton let him go far too early. They bought him that same summer. They brought in Gilfie Sigurdsson, Davy Klassen and Wayne Rooney. He is now by far the best of those four players. Rooney's obviously retired, but he is far better than Gilfie, far better than Klassen. Yet he was the first one they binned out the door. They didn't include a buyback clause. They, I don't think they included a sell-on clause. They just made a huge mistake. And it looks like for 23 million and some add-ons, West Ham are going to add a very good player. Now, he doesn't really fill their need, which is a central midfielder, or the other need, which is a striker. They already had good depth with Yarmolenko and Lanzini in those attacking midfield roles, but this guy is is a step above. I think he comes in and becomes a starter. I think Saeed Benrama might be the one who drops to the bench. Moyes didn't seem all that keen on him last year. He was largely the one who dropped out when Jesse Lingard went there. But you look at what Vlasic has done the last two seasons, 13 and 38, 12 and 34. It's very impressive for an attacking midfielder, especially when he gets to the work he does. And that's where he'll be key. Works very, very hard. will drop back in and form a midfield three with Rice and Suchek when they don't have the ball. A good player, a good signing, a good price. Rumours are they still like Lingard and would like him on loan. I, I think they need to focus on getting that striker and getting that midfielder, though. They don't have enough depth in those positions. And if Antonio gets hurt, they're going to be in big trouble. Now, they could get away with playing Bowen through the middle. And maybe bringing in Ben Rama on the right. But it's not the same style of football. It's not going to allow them to play the way they have been playing. Bowen's not nearly as good in the air. Doesn't have that physical presence. That hold-up play. You'd like to see them get a nine. You really would like to see them get some depth in midfield. But they are active. They are on the move. They obviously got Kurt Zuma done over the weekend as well. A little bit of an overpay, I think, all things considered. But... 
They've been looking for a centre-back. I don't think he's as good as the ones they were looking at. I don't think he's as good as Milenkovic. I don't think he's as good as Kletikar. I think Milenkovic is the best of the three, then Kletikar, then Zuma. And they've paid more for Zuma than they might have done for paying for the other two combined. So it's not ideal business, but they needed a centre-back. They got a centre-back. They're not going to criticise them too much on that one. Um, Conor Gallagher made a 1-1 on 58. Really nice, tidy finish. Good turn in the box and scored. Antonio just pace and power down the inside left channel. Lovely quick shot away. Beats the keeper. Makes it 2-1 on 68. But two minutes later, again, it's Gallagher. Again, it's a tidy little turn in the box and a good finish. Fabianski maybe could do a bit better, but all things considered, I think it's just a good goal. Was really impressed with Gallagher in this game. Palace looked like they're about to add Will Hughes. That's another good bit of midfield depth. They want a striker as well. Again, like Brighton and Ketia and Eduard are the two that have been linked. There's also some talk they could be in for right back with Jed Spence and Ola Ain have been mentioned, two players I've suggested for them in the past. And um, it looks like they're going to have a busy end to the transfer window as well, having already done really impressive work. This was the first sign that Vieira has, is putting a team together. I thought they showed a real togetherness at the back. Anderson and Guehi already looking like a good pairing. Midfield functioned well with Gallagher, Coyate and MacArthur. And the attack looked a little bit more coherent, though Benteke at times just still looks a little bit lost, walking around, waiting for the ball, not really giving you what you'd want in that position. But they showed fight. They came back from behind twice against a good team away from home. This is a big positive for Palace. It's a point they should be very, very happy with. Uh, the next one then is Norwich against Leicester. And Norwich can feel hard done by here. Vardy put Leicester one up after eight minutes. Really good work from um, Ricardo Pereira. Very, very poor from Norwich to allow him into the position he got into. Good cross. Vardy finishes it. Very clinical. Very tidy. Gets them up and running. But Timo Pukki would make it 1-1 from the penalty spot on 44. Kagla Sianchu continues to regress under Brendan Rodgers. Clumsy challenge. Needless to do. Gives away the penalty. Pukki steps up. No problem. Scores the goal. Norwich matched Leicester in every aspect here. They had more shots, more shots on target. Possession was fairly easy. Counterattacks were good. We're getting into good positions, but they just could not find that final ball. Mark Albrighton would make a 2-1 to Leicester on 76. A good move. Vardy finds Albrighton. And you'd maybe question the goalkeeper. It's a difficult angle for Albrighton. It's a shot across the goal. You'd, You'd maybe question that. Tim Krul could have done a little bit better, but it finds the bottom of the net, uh, bottom corner of the net, and um, Leicester go two up. From there, Norwich started to pile the pressure on and thought they'd gotten the equaliser. I think it was a Josh Sargent header. No, it was Kenny McLean. It was Kenny McLean's header. was ruled out because Todd Cantwell was about three inches offside, maybe. Unfortunate. If only Cantwell could have been like I say, three inches further out, because they deserve the draw. Norwich deserved the draw. They can feel hard done by in this one. They played really well. 
And if they can play like that, Norwich are going to be okay. Whether they'll stay up or not, I don't know. But they will give themselves a fighting chance. They're not going to get embarrassed. They're not going to go down with a record number of defeats. They're not going to do a Sheffield United. I don't think so anyway. I think they've shown enough in the game against Liverpool and this one to show that they can compete with good teams. Obviously, they went to the Etihad and got walloped. So did Arsenal. Lots of teams will. I think they'll be competitive this year. And their business isn't finished. They are in the process of bringing in Ozan Kabak from Schalke on loan. Obviously spent last season on loan at Liverpool. He is a very good centre-back. He will immediately become their best centre-back. It may mean that club club captain Grant Hanley drops out of the team. That's not a bad thing. Hanley's a good championship defender, but as I said when they came up, I think he struggles in the Premier League. We saw it the last time. We've seen it so far this time. He wasn't particularly good at the weekend. I think Quebec comes in as a starter. I will say Ben Gibson didn't look particularly good in this game either. And they're going to need him to improve. They've also brought in Matthias Norman, defensive midfielder, formerly of Brighton. They bring him in on loan from Rostov with an option to buy. They've got an option to buy in Quebec as well. So they're not committing huge sums to these players, but they are ensuring that if they stay up, they will be able to buy them. If they go down, they may even be able to keep Norman. But I like what Norwich have done this summer, I have to say. I do think they've had a good window. I think these late moves fill some of the voids. It's still maybe like one more up front, more of a natural goal scorer, someone with a bit more pace. Reese Nelson, he looks like he could be going to Feyenoord. He could have been a good fit. Pace and movement up front, but all things considered, and we'll go through the transfers in in more depth once the window closes. I I think you have to be impressed with what Norwich have done on a limited budget, because we know Delia doesn't spend money. But all things considered, I, I like what they've done. We saw Brandon Williams get his first start at the weekend. I thought he did pretty well. Him and Aaron's. As the wing backs, that or as the full backs, that's a, a really good young pairing. And I don't know that Williams has a future at United. Because they've got Shaw, who's 27, and Alex Tellez as their left backs. Juan Bissaka, I think he's 24 now, 23. And Delot, who they're keeping as their right backs. I don't know where Williams fits. So maybe Norwich will get to keep him permanently. If they do, he'll be a good signing. He's a good young player. Um, really impressed me, not last season, but the season before when he got his run in the team. Aston Villa won, Brentford won. Ivan Tony with his first Premier League goal on seven minutes, uh, left unmarked in the Villa penalty area. And bizarrely, I can't even blame Tyron Mings because he wasn't on the pitch. Axel Tunzebi started instead of Mings. Um, I quite liked how Villa lined up with... Uh, I'm going to call him Carney, so it's not to butcher his surname, but he played in midfield with David Louis, or with Douglas Louise. Big ask of a young player. He's only 17, but he really held his own in this one. Um, John McGinn out with COVID. I think he's asymptomatic, though. Should be back soon enough. This is a pretty good game, though. Buendia uh, would make it 1-1 on 13. Uh, lovely finish. Received the ball in the penalty area. Maddie Cash made a great overlapping run. 
drew Rico Henry away, which in turn meant Ethan Pinnock took a step to his left. And Buendia just bent the ball into the top corner. Credit to David Rea, who I'm not a big fan of, but he did make a couple of good saves in this game. I thought it was a pretty well-balanced game. Villa probably had the better of it in terms of the clearer chances. Uh, El Ghazi caused quite a few problems for Brentford. But other than that, Brentford held their own and Buomo came close to finishing a chance that would have given them the win. I think both sides will be happy enough with the point. I'm not happy because I got that one wrong as well. Uh, but I am happy for Brentford. And it, you know, look, three games, five points, still undefeated. That's a great start for a newly promoted team. Last game of Saturday, Liverpool won, Chelsea won. Chelsea would go 1-0 up. Kai Havertz with the header on 22. Whether he was trying to score or trying to flick it on, I don't know, and it's kind of irrelevant. It was a really good header. It did the job. They went 1-0. Then things got a bit controversial. Three minutes into stoppage time, at the end of the first half, Liverpool get a corner. Ball comes across. It's a bit of a skirmish. Joel Mata boots the ball up in the air. Mendy has a very simple catch, but a Chelsea player gets stuck underneath him and he kind of palms it onto the head of Joel Matip, who hits the bar. It bounces around a little bit. Sadio Mane gets his foot to it, sends it goalward, and it hits Reese James. Now, it hits him on the thigh and then hits him on the arm. Now, by the rules of the game, I don't know that it would have been given as a penalty. Because it deflects up onto his arm. And they changed the rule last year that if it did deflect up, it's not a, it's not a deemed a, a handball. However, James, having already touched the ball with his arm, then sweeps his arm forward. I don't know if he makes contact with the ball a second time, but he does sweep his arm forward in a motion to kind of shift the ball off the line. That makes it a blatant handball. That makes the penalty. That makes it a red card. Now, I will say, I thought the referee's theatrics here runs over to look at the screen, glances at it very briefly, sees the movement of the arm, but I don't think looked at it in enough detail to see, excuse me, to see what had actually happened. Gives the penalty. Fair enough. No problem. Brandishes a red card at James without giving him any explanation as to why, and this is one of the failings with the Premier League referees, and referees in general, because James looked completely bamboozled by what had happened, as did all the Chelsea players. I think referees owe it to players when sending them off to explain. Now, unless it's a Xhaka thing, where, you know, you've jumped in two-footed, son, you're off. No, no need to debate this. Get off. This deserved some consideration for the player and a little bit of communication from the referee. Bit of a skirmish. Everything settles down. Salah steps up. Puts the ball in the bottom corner. 1-1. Jordan Henderson goes to retrieve the ball. For reasons known only to Jordan Henderson. And Edward Mendy boots the ball off him. Henderson gets the hump. Does that thing where he starts a little fight and then gets easily pushed away by 
Diogo Jota, who's, you know, per half his size, doing the whole hold me back thing, hold me back, manages to get a couple of Chelsea players booked. So probably accomplishes what he set out to do. It's the only thing he accomplished in the game. Worst player on the pitch first half, not very good second half, hold off on 70, 74 maybe. Second half sets out in a pattern where Chelsea take off Havertz, bring on Thiago Silva, go from what had been a 3-4-3 to a very much a flat-back five with three sat in front and Lukaku up front by himself. Kovacic comes on for Kante, who got hurt in the first half. And Chelsea just said about stalling, winning free kicks. To tell you how bad a performance the referee had, Liverpool had 66% of the ball in this game and were whistled for 13 fouls. Chelsea had 34%, only whistled for four fouls in the whole game one of which was the penalty. Now, in the second half, when Liverpool dominated the game, had all of the ball, Chelsea weren't given, weren't penalised for a single free kick. Not one single free kick did the referee give Liverpool in the second half. Chelsea fans spent most of Saturday evening complaining about the red card completely ignored the fact that the referee gave them everything they wanted in the game. Jorginho would take control of the ball. Sadio Mane breathed on him at one point. He fell over and rolled around, held his knee, and a free kick got given. Trent Alexander-Arnold got bundled off the ball. Mo Salah won the ball back, and a free kick was given against Salah, despite no foul being committed and Trent lying on the ground. Now, look, Chelsea played really well. They defended brilliantly. There's no criticism of Chelsea or their game plan. Get away with what you can get away with. Buy cheap free kicks every time you can. I'm absolutely on board with everything Chelsea did. I thought Thomas Tuchel had an absolute blinder. Tremendous, tremendous tactical approach from Tuchel and a great in-game adjustment. But the referee was shambolic in this game. Liverpool dominated the game. Chelsea looked more dangerous in the moments they had going forward. Romelu Lukaku did not have a particularly good game, spent part of his game in Virgil van Dijk's pocket, then wandered across thinking maybe he'll have better luck against Joel Matip, got one little opportunity, and then Matip decided enough was enough and put him in his pocket. And um, Lukaku will have much better games, but Liverpool's two centre-backs looked very, very good in this one. All things considered, Liverpool fans will be happy with a point or sorry, would have been happy with a point pre-game, as would Chelsea fans. If you'd offered both sets a draw beforehand, they'd have been happy with that. Given how the game panned out, Liverpool fans come away disappointed. Chelsea fans come away feeling like they've won a game. And that's absolutely right, they should, because they got away with one here. Uh, moving into Sunday then, Burnley won, Leeds won. A bit of a dour game. Leeds very poor first half. Burnley not much better. Chris Wood made it 1-0 on 61. Little bit of a tap-in. Little bit of a fluke. It's a, a left-footed Matty Loughton shot inside the box. It bobbles across. Wood gets a toe to it. Melier should save it. Doesn't get enough of a hand on it. It finds its way into the back of the net. Rafinha had a half-decent opportunity. Make it 1-1. Leeds... 
started knocking on the door as the second half kept going. They'd eventually get their equaliser, a, scru- a scruffy goal, with Patrick Bamford getting the last touch. A draw was probably a fair result in this one. I, I would say both teams overall were probably happy with the point, given how they performed. But both can be happy enough. Burnley especially can be happy enough with this. And, you know, it's the first point they've gotten this season after two defeats. For Leeds, it's two points now from three games. They've rebounded well from that walloping they took at Old Trafford on the first day of the season. Burnley over the weekend announced the signing of Maxwell Cornet. I think it's a, it's a good addition. Can play on the wings. Can play at left back. Can play a little bit through the middle. Good squad addition. He'll be a starter, you can imagine, in a couple of weeks once he gets used to the Deich way of doing things. Hopefully, he works out better than the last guy they bought for around the same price, Ben Gibson. Um, they have a bit more work to do. So do, so do Leeds. Leeds, rumors are, maybe even reports are, uh, now, let me see. I saw a report from somebody, I can't remember who it was, that Leeds are currently in talks with Dan James of Manchester United. Now, James started for United at the weekend, but it, reports are he is in talks Who did I see it from, though, was the question. Oh, it was from the spoofer. Hmm. Don't know whether to believe it or not, but the spoofer with the catchphrase is reporting. He says it's an exclusive, which means he's stolen it off somebody that's not particularly well known. That Leeds are in advanced talks to sign Dan James from United on a permanent deal. Um, Doesn't really fill the kind of positions of need. You would have liked another one in central midfield. You'd have liked somebody as a bit of depth behind Bamford. I would have liked a right back because I, I just don't think Luke Ayling is, is good enough at this level and maybe another centre-back. But Dan James is a good player. He's better than we've seen at United. Bielsa will get more out of him. I think he'll be happier at Leeds as well. Um, less pressure. It's where he wanted to go originally when he was leaving uh, Swansea. So fair play. Um, I had Burnley winning that one, so I was wrong on that one too. Um, I was also wrong about Liverpool. I thought Leicester and Norwich would be a draw. It should have been, so I was almost right. Yeah, bad weekend this week uh, with predictions. The last two games of the weekend, Tottenham won, Watford nil. I did get this one where I thought they'd win by more, but I called the victory. They deserved the victory. They should have won by more. They had a couple of really good chances. Young Minson with the only goal of the game. Free kick way out on the, uh, the left-hand side. One of those where he curled it in between goalkeeper and onrushing players. And the keeper waited for it to bounce and see if anyone would get a touch. And then couldn't reach the ball in time. You, you, you'd expect more from, from Backman, but it is what it is. Um, it's the only goal of the game. Kane could have scored. Son could have had a second. Ali could have had one. But at the same time, Watford didn't lie down. They weren't completely outplayed. They held their own in a lot of respects. Uh, Tom Cleverley, not Tom Cleverley, who was it? Was it Kuka? Kuka almost scored. Um, a very good defensive header by Eric Dyer, of all people, um, to deny him the chance. Musa Soko made his debut 
for Watford after a move from Spurs. Good to see. Got a decent reception as well. And credit the Spurs fans for that. Spurs are busy. They look like they might have two more coming in. One of them being Emerson Royale, the Brazilian right-back from Barcelona. Uh, reports this morning they've agreed a fee in the region of €30 million. Euro. Barca brought him back from Real Betis to sell him. They're getting to sell him. It, you know, he's 22. He's probably Barca's third choice right back. Now, I know he played at the weekend, but Sergio Dest was out and Sergio Roberto has been needed in midfield. But they're the two first choice right backs. Emerson would be third choice. He is a very good player, though. Now, I, I wonder if his arrival will mean they go to wing backs. Um, that'll be one to keep an eye on. Will Spurs go to playing wing backs and bring in a third centre back into the team? Or will they stick with the flat back four and just play him and Regulon as fullbacks? That's quite attacking, but will have benefits. All things considered, I thought Deli Ali had another really good game. Heusberg continues to impress in that midfield. And the Spurs front three. Kane looked a little bit rusty, but, you know, it's his first start in the league of the season. It'll take him time. He's still going to be getting over, not getting his move. Uh, but Spurs, top of the league. Three games, three wins, three goals scored, none conceded. They cannot be anything but thrilled. Top of the league after three games, and then especially when they look at the bottom of the league and see their biggest rivals uh, propping things up. Last game then, Manchester United won, Wolves nil. Uh, highway robbery springs to mind here. Wolves were by far the better team. It's not even close. Wolves are by far the better team. Adama had a good opportunity, should have done better. Jimenez had a good opportunity, should have done better. Moutinho had a good opportunity, should have done better. Trinqueau had a good opportunity. Beat the keeper. Juan Bissaka does really well with the block. The ball comes back to Trinqueau. And Dan James completely two-foots him. It's a penalty. How it's not given, I don't know. Jamie Carragher and that other goof on Sky don't even mention it. It's a blatant penalty. doesn't get mentioned. Roman Sice has a great double chance in the second half. Beats Varane for a header. De Gea makes a save. Ball drops to Sice again. He really should score from three yards out. Somehow he enables De Gea to make the double save. In credit to De Gea. He did react well, but Sice should make no mistake from there. United went 1-0 up. The winning goal on 80 minutes. Mason Greenwood. Really bad goalkeeper from Jose Sa. I said when they signed him, he's not very good. He's shown he's not very good. It's a weak enough shot on his right foot from a difficult angle. Any good goalkeeper saves this comfortably. Sa manages to put it into his own net. Mess. However, the real controversy around this is in the build-up. Paul Pogba takes a heavy touch. Paul Pogba stanked the place out, by the way. United played a 4-2-3-1 with Pogba in a double pivot with Fred, and both of them were calamity from start to finish. All over the place, got no assistance from the front. I will say Dan James worked quite hard from the right-hand side, but Sancho on the left, completely ineffective, very poor performance. Bruno in the 10, didn't look his normal self. And Greenwood up front, he's not exactly well known for his tracking back. Those three didn't help much. 
The two midfielders were just all over the place. But Pogba, having stanked the place out for 80 minutes, takes a heavy touch, lunges at the ball, goes clear over the top of the ball, catches Neves on the shin, puts Neves in a heap, and somehow the game is allowed to continue. The referee is standing about three feet away, maybe less, sees it happen, doesn't call it. Neves, maybe because he doesn't immediately go down, he kind of looks at the referee as to say, how are you not blowing for this, and then falls down. They watch it on VAR and somehow don't don't call it back and give the free kick. If you watch the replay, you can see Ruben Neves' shin guard snap from the front of his shin to the side of his leg. And the referee has deemed that not a foul. Absolutely disgraceful. United fans, well, their reaction is, oh, but the Bruno one wasn't given last weekend. The Bruno one wasn't a foul. Jack Stevens fairly won the ball. Bruno just fell over. Stevens won the ball. Pogba never touched the ball. He went clear over the top of it and nearly cut Ruben Neves in half. A shameful tackle. He should have been sent off, but he didn't even get a free kick given against him. Absolutely incredible. Caps a weekend for United. Dreadful performance, but three points. Where they're in celebration mode. Obviously, after I recorded this on Friday, news comes out that Manchester United, not Manchester City, have signed Cristiano Ronaldo. The 12 years of fawning, pandering, etc., etc., can now be extended. Uh, Cristiano coming back to the Premier League. Conflicting stories about how it happened. I would imagine the £480,000 a week United have agreed to pay him, to pay him was a big factor. I would imagine it was also a big factor in why Manchester City chose not to pursue the deal. City have once again walked away from a deal where they've done all the legwork. Same thing happened with Alexis Sanchez and United are the ones that pick up the pieces and take him in. It should work out better than the Alexis Sanchez deal, obviously. But you just don't know with these things. Um, United are paying 17 million plus add-ons. I'd imagine there's a huge fee to the agent, uh, George Mendes, huge fee to Cristiano as a signing bonus. And obviously, like I say, 480 grand a week, just shy of half a million a week. Um, so he's on about 25 million a year for two years. That's 50 million. Mendes will have gotten somewhere in the region of 20 million for brokering this from United. Cristiano will have gotten a big signing fee. And obviously the fees to Juventus plus the add-ons. You would guess this is going to cost United in and around maybe a little bit more than a hundred million for two years. That's a very, very big investment in a 36-year-old who's passed his best. Uh, it's been great for the local journalists who've had the opportunity to grab the lube and tissues and, you know, tell us all how Sir Alex Ferguson and Rio Ferdinand and Patrice Evra and all these other players and, and United people were involved. It says a lot that they all needed to get involved to convince him, even when City didn't want to sign him in the end, because Pep Guardiola has come out and said that if he hadn't signed for United, City wouldn't have signed him, which suggests that City had backed away from the deal, 
maybe it just got too pricey for them. Maybe they looked at the overall lay of the land and thought, we don't want to be tied to him for two years at that kind of number. You would wonder if certain police reports that have come out in the last few days tied with certain police reports about said Portuguese attacker who refuses to return to America. Maybe that's all linked and maybe City looked at the optics and thought, you know what, not for us. Uh, but for United, look, they, they wanted him. I said before the summer, if he becomes available, United will try and get him. You can go back and listen. I said that before the summer. Watch for Cristiano to United. There he is. Uh, Ollie seems chuffed. I will, uh, I will hold judgment on how Ollie will manage Cristiano. Um, I can't imagine. Cristiano will react well if Ollie screams at him for not tracking back. But I don't imagine Ollie will scream at him. I think he will pander to him and allow him to do what he wants. Uh, the nauseating media, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, etc., all the ex-United players, uh, all in a big old party about what he'll bring to the club. Not really looking at his track record of not making those around him better in, in terms of attackers. Dybala, worst season of his career, came with Cristiano. Higuain, Benzema, worst seasons of their career, came with Cristiano. Uh, Berbatov, Rooney, Tevez, worst seasons with Cristiano as well. So doesn't make attackers that he plays with better, requires the entire team to be played towards him. United fans don't seem to understand that international Bruno is what you're about to get rather than club Bruno. And international Bruno is a shell of club Bruno. I would imagine uh, Sancho will get a whole ton of assists, but Greenwood and Rashford will suffer from playing with Cristiano. And you also now have to factor in that we now know, we knew before, but we know now Paul Pogba can't play in a double pivot. Um, it has to be McTominay and Fred because they don't have anybody else. But even if you had a top-class defensive midfielder, to play them with Pogba, with Bruno in front, Sancho one wing, Rashford the other, and Cristiano up front, you would basically need the love child of uh, N'Golo Kante and Will Fendidi, plied full of all the steroids that Lance Armstrong took for his entire career, just to get through one game, such would be the running and defensive weight put on that player. So that's going to be interesting. You'd imagine now Pogba will just be played where he's been decent, where he's been quite good recently, uh, on the left. Bruno is the 10, Sancho on the right. That leaves Martial and Rashford when he returns. Martial, Greenwood and Rashford when he returns out of the team. Uh, not exactly ideal for the development of young players, especially one in Greenwood, who might be might be the most talented player United have ever produced out of their academy. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll rattle through the transfer news doing the rounds and do the gossip, and that'll be us. See you in a few. Right, welcome back. So, um, transfer news today. Obviously, Ozan Quebec to Norwich. Uh, John Percy reporting that a deal has agreed, loan with an option to buy, medical that he had today. Leicester City are in talks with Orby Leipzig over a potential loan deal for Adamola Luckman. 
Still some work to do on a salary agreement, but Luckman is the player Leicester want. Did really well on loan at Leicester last season. Not the left footer they wanted to play on the right-hand side, but Luckman one side, Barnes the other, Thielemans and Madison with Ndidi behind it, and then whoever up front, Vardy for now, uh, Iheanacho and Daka off to the options as well. Really, really good. Uh, Connor Hurahan is leaving uh, Aston Villa on loan again. This time he is bound for Sheffield United. They could do it a midfielder because obviously Lundstrom left in the summer. I think he's probably slightly better than John Fleck. So that one's good. Dennis Priet is leaving Leicester to join Torino. Loan with an option to buy uh, £15 million. Option to buy. I'm not sure Torino will take that up. But he's a good player for them to get on loan. I think Leicester will regret that one. Uh, Wang Hee-Chan. So obviously this was over the weekend. He has signed for Wolves on loan. He's a good player, was really good at Orby Salzburg, went to Leipzig, got COVID and really struggled to recover from it. But he is a good player. He will be a good addition for them. Uh, Diogo Delot is staying at Manchester United. Ahmed Diallo now staying at United. His loan to Feyenoord called off because of a muscular injury sustained in training over the weekend. Tottenham on the verge of signing Emerson. One from the Bundesliga, Marcel Sabitzer, is on his way from Orbe Leipzig to Bayern Munich. It's a good signing for Munich, especially at that price. What else have we got? That seems to be most of it at the moment. Obviously, Guy mentioned earlier, Sima of Brighton being linked to... Sorry, Sima of Slavia Prague being linked to Brighton. Arsenal apparently still busy, still looking to bring in one or two, but potentially just on loan. Uh, Chelsea's move for Jules Koundé looks to be off. Sevilla raised the price once they saw that Chelsea had sold Zuma, which I said from day one, they're not accepting 50 million. They will want the full buyout clause. That's what they went back to. Doesn't look like that deal will happen unless Chelsea decide to get very aggressive and up their price quite a bit. Uh, so Chelsea could be left short at centre-back. They really need to figure out if they can't get Kunde, they need to find somebody else. Uh, so we'll run through the gossip. There is a decent amount of it. Mark Cucurella, we have that one. Oh, other bit of news. Ruben Diaz has signed a new contract at Manchester United. Uh, he joined on a six-year deal in September 2020. And they have given him... Another six-year deal. So you'd imagine it's just improved terms plus an extra year. Seems very early to have made such a commitment to the player. I know he had a good season last year, uh, but it was it was overhyped. It wasn't as good as it was made out to be. Um, but look, fair play to him. Fair play to him. Get your money while you can. Uh, right, let's run through the gossip then. PSG will try and sign with Charleston if they agree a deal to sell Kylian Mbappe. So far, no deal for Mbappe. Rafa Benitez said Richarlison will stay. Everton are demanding £85 million for Richarlison. That, was, that is why he will stay. Uh, PSG will target Gabriel. No, they won't. Uh, Dortmund's Erling Haaland is on PSG's radar should Mbappe move to Spain's capital. That could be one to keep an eye on. Everton have contacted Celtic about a deal for Odds and Edward. 
they don't really need... Well, I suppose they are letting Moise Keane go. Moise Keane is going back to Juventus on the loan with an option to buy. So it does create a gap. I'd like to see Eduard go somewhere where he'd start, but this is a good move for him as well. Real Madrid will look to offload Eden Hazard, Marco Asensio and Rodrigo as they prepare for the arrival of Mbappe. Rodrigo's really talented. It just hasn't really worked for him since moving to Real. Asensio looked like he was going to be a world beater until the knee injury. Hasn't looked the same since, but I do think there's a real player there if someone can get him out of Madrid. Hazard, they're stuck with, unfortunately. Juventus are interested in Hazard. No, they're not. That's been confirmed. They're not interested in Hazard. Uh, Edinson Cavani is still very much in Manchester United plans, and they have no plans to sell him. They can't sell him. He's not worth anything. He is only worth something to them. Nobody's going to give them money for him because he's on huge wages, and he's 34 years of age. Uh, Christian, oh, sorry, Chelsea's move for Saul Niguez has collapsed after the 26-year-old was not given assurances over regular playing time. It didn't collapse because it never existed. This was a figment of Fabrizio's mind. It was never in place. They were never accepting him on loan, uh, Atletico. They were never accepting a loan offer. Not for him. They would have sold him. Chelsea didn't make an offer. Simple as that. Chelsea may still go back from, he has been a player they've targeted, but the spoofer, basically used previous speculation to create a figment. And that's what that was. Uh, Kurt Zuma's gone. The thing that's fine. Chelsea could offload Ross Barkley and Danny Drinkwater to clear wage bill. To who? Barkley, you'll find someone to take him on, probably on loan. Nobody's going to touch Drinkwater. He went on loan to Burnley. It was a disaster. He went on loan to Villa. It was a disaster. You're stuck with him until the end of his contract. Chelsea have agreed a new four-year contract with Andreas Christensen. He was really, really good at the weekend. He's playing really well under Tuchel. So, at this point, it is worth his while to stay. Aston Villa are interested in Bel- uh, Belgian midfielder Axel Witzel. So, René Maric, the assistant manager of uh, Borussia Dortmund, commented on some story linking Witzel to another club. Um, said it's absolute garbage. Some idiot asked him who the source was. And uh, René Maric just posted a picture of A, him with Witzel, and B, you know, his bio on Twitter. Um, Wolves have submitted a £12.8 million bid for Dujic Kletikar. I don't think that will get accepted, but they were in for Sven Botman as well. So clearly a centre-back is a priority, as it should be. Blackburn, Bournemouth, Swansea and Stoke all want to sign Patrick Roberts, who's available on a free from Man City. He'll have no shortage of takers. Super talented player. Made the wrong move joining City. Had a couple of good loans at Celtic. Other than that, things have not gone well. But he's still only 24. Has a good opportunity to go to a club, find a role for himself and continue to develop. Young Arsenal midfielders Miguel Aziz and Ryan Alavosi, who can play, who can both play right back or in midfield, are on the verge of joining Portsmouth and Sunderland respectively. Good for them. Let them get out and get their games. Uh, let's see now. What have we got here? Kylian Mbappe has given Paris Saint-Germain until Sunday. Oh, sorry, Real Madrid have given Paris Saint-Germain until Sunday to accept a bid for Kylian Mbappe. That was yesterday. Mbappe played for um, PSG. So my guess is that deal doesn't happen. Cristiano Ronaldo will become the highest paid player in Premier League history when he completes his move from Manchester United from from Juventus to Manchester United. You know, it is what it is. 
Chelsea's hopes of signing Jules Kunde have been dented after the Spaniards raised their asking price. Did they raise it or was that just the price all along? And now, only now, Chelsea are finding out what it was. Because that's his buyout clause. So, did they raise it or was it just that all along and you were just speculating because you think that Premier League clubs can bully other clubs into selling their best players? Borussia Dortmund are hopeful of signing Diogo Dalot. Now he's staying now. Borussia Dortmund are interested in signing Callum Hudson-Odoi from Chelsea, but Thomas Tuchel wants to keep him and not loan him out. Yeah, uh, it's a shame for Hudson-Odoi. I think a loan, especially to a club like Dortmund, especially to a league like the Bundesliga, would do him the world of good. Manchester United are planning to make a late move for Kieran Trippier, with Atletico said to be demanding £34 million. This is from AS. AS are the same crowd who repeatedly told us he's not for sale at any price. So. They don't know what they're, what they're talking about. They just make things up as they go along. I'd imagine any money that was there for Trippier is now gone. It would have been gone on Cristiano. Uh, West Ham are planning a £15 million bid for Jesse Lingard because United will be looking to sell him following the signing of Cristiano. Um, I don't think they will be. They might look to take him on loan, but they're not going to buy him having just bought in Vlasic. Brazilian forward Willian is prepared to lose out on a substantial amount of money in order to leave Arsenal and join Corinthians. So last summer, Arsenal signed him for three years, 200 grand a week. That's 10 million a year for three years is 30 million, plus a signing on fee, which is probably about the same, 10 million. So all things considered, Arsenal paid about 40 million to get three years of Willian, who was past his best and was, you know, looking for a club and no one else was interested. He is now walking away from 20 million just to get rid of them, just to get clear of the club and move on and go somewhere else. Credit to him, but you can go and find it in the archives on EPLindex.com. Very well written article, I might add, uh, about why Arsenal shouldn't sign him. Tottenham have stepped up the pursuit of Emerson Royale. Yeah, we know that's happening. Uh, Juventus are close to re signing Moise Keane on a two year loan with an obligation to buy. That two-year loan and the two-year loan for, um, I can't think of the guy's name, Locatelli, uh, gives them the two-year window to get by the stink of how much money they wasted on Cristiano and reset their books. So that's why they're doing that. You'd imagine Everton are getting a decent enough loan fee. Crystal Palace have made a £15 million bid for Odson Edward. They've held talks with Arsenal for Eddie Nketiah, and have explored moves for Reese Nelson, Adamola Luckman, and Jeremy Boga. So they're looking to bring in a striker and a winger, by the sounds of things. Well, they best get cracking, because it looks like Luckman could be going elsewhere. It looks like Nelson could be going anywhere elsewhere. I'd like to see Luckman go to Palace, I have to say. I think he'd fit in really well there. I think he'd fit better there than he will at, at Leicester. Uh, Leicester's midfielder Hamza Chowdhury is keen to join Newcastle while the Magpies are also closing in on signing Santiago Munez isn't he the guy from the goal movies Um, I think Chowdhury to Newcastle is a mistake for the player Everton are interested in Ainsley Maitland-Niles they've made a loan bid this morning as things stand Reading are in talks with Chelsea for Danny Drinkwater and Chelsea will end up paying 90% of his salary France midfielder Timmy 
Bakayoko has arrived in Italy for a medical before joining AC Milan from Chelsea on a two-year loan with an option to buy. What a disastrous transfer that turned out to be for Chelsea. And he's a really good player. Really, really good player. Just the wrong guy at the wrong time. Uh, Latour Martinez has accepted Inter Milan's offer of a contract extension. Good for him, good for them. And then the last days is be today's. So let's run through this. Liverpool, Leeds and Aston Villa may make a late move, what, together? Uh, for Sampdoria and Denmark winger Mikael Damsgaard. But Tottenham have dropped out of the race. Really good player. Don't know if he's quite ready to start for a club like Liverpool. I, I, if I was Leeds, I'd prefer him to Dan James, but I can see why they'd go for James. He would be a good signing for Villa. He'd be a good signing for Liverpool, but he's one they'd have to be patient with. Uh, PSG are yet to respond to Real Madrid's offer for Mbappe. I'm assuming they're just not turning it. They're just turning it down and they're not going to accept it. Uh, Juventus are not considering any moves for Sergio Aguero, Eden Hazard or Pierre Aubameyang. Yeah, well, that's obvious. Uh, West Ham are close to completing the signing of Nikola Vlasic. Credit to, I think Jacob Steinberg was the one who broke that story. Um, so well, you'll see others, uh, spoofers and such jump in and try and claim the information as their own. Jacob Steinberg was the first one with that information. Uh, Tottenham are looking to sign two more players, including Emerson Royale. I reckon the other one could be a centre back, but they have been linked with Adama and they do seem to want a striker. So maybe two more and Emerson. Who knows? Uh, Everton, Brighton, Leeds and Crystal Palace are all in the race to sign Daniel James, who's free to leave Old Trafford. It's a weird one that he would start yesterday and, and be free to leave. Um, again, you have to ask questions over what Ollie is doing. Um, Everton are in talks to sign Solomon Rondon. So I'm guessing they're not going to sign Edouard then. Rondon will be the backup to Calvert-Lewin. Watford are in talks with Birmingham over selling club captain Troy Deeney to the championship side. Interesting. Uh, it is about time for Deeney to move on. Premier League's a, a step too far from at this point. But, you know, it'll be a tough one for Watford to lose a guy who's been there that long. Juventus will pursue a move for Axel Vissel. I think that was the one that um, René Marich commented on. Juventus might consider a move for Mauro Icardi. He's out injured, so I don't think they will. And Bayern Munich have reached an agreement for Marcel Salazar. That is that. The other bit of transfer news for today is Zambu Anguisa is leaving Fulham on loan with an option to buy to join Napoli. I can't wait to watch Napoli play with him. They're going to have him, Fabian Ruiz and Zielinski in the same midfield. I, I love all three of those players. So I will very much be watching quite a bit of Napoli this season. I also like Elmas, who's a decent player. Um, not too keen on some of the others. Not really a big fan of, uh, Diego Deme, but you know, he is what he is. But Zambo and Ruiz is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. So, uh, if you get the opportunity, do give, do give Napoli a watch this season. Rightio, that is it for today. That is me done. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.